Hello, it's me, Damien Barr, welcoming you back to another Book of the Week here on the Literary Salon podcast. Now, I make no apologies for your teetering TBR pile. It's up to you to get through it as and when you can. There's absolutely no judgment about it here. It is almost certainly true that I will be found dead under a pile of books. And I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. And I hope you are too, because this is going to be another one to add to your pile. Our featured book this week is, you ready for this title? Eyes, guts, throat, bones. There's not even there's not even commas there. It's just like eyes, guts, throat, bones. Um, it sounds like a shopping list for a spell. It is by Moira Fowley. It is a collection of short stories, and it will not surprise you to realise that this is fully dark and quite witchy. So if you're a fan of Kirsty Logan, who has a new book out called Now She Is Witch, um, you'll very much love this. Moira is half French, she's half Irish, she lives in Dublin. Um, she's a writer that you might know, she's a very famous writer of YA fiction. She's also a reader of tarot, which I think all the best people are. And according to her social media profile, she's busy raising, quote, two witch babies, unquote. Now, are those witch babies furred? Are they feathered? Are they children? I mean, what kind of children? I don't know. And after reading the book, honestly, it's just exactly, it's kind of like Angela Carter levels of what is going on um, and compelling and intriguing and dark, which, you know, I mean, the world is dark, but somehow books like this give us a wee bit of respite from it. So basically it's a collection of short stories for grown-ups, let's be clear, not for children. Um, there's horror, there's fantasy, but there's also really beautiful literary depictions of queer love at the end of the world. The book is getting rave reviews. Kieran Millwood Hargrave, who we love here at Salon, uh, said that Moira is one of her favourite storytellers and that these tales lingered, morphed and consumed her. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. So here is Moira with a reading and please don't come running to us if you feel slightly possessed afterwards. Hi, I'm Moira Fowley, and I am delighted and honoured to be reading for Damien Barr's Literary Salon, an extract from Eyes, Guts, Throat, Bones. Eyes, Guts, Throat, Bones is a collection of short stories about queer female bodies and the end of the world. From forests that turn people into twisted fables, to flowers raining earthworms from the sky, from a woman wearing her ex's face to a hole in the fence that keeps the monsters out from a good old-fashioned summoning to a vengeful ancient queen buried under a hill slowly rising. These stories started in the forest over lockdown in May 2020. They weren't what I was supposed to be writing. I was supposed to be writing a young adult novel, uh, which would have been my fourth. But a creature, this creature, made of 15 horrible, queer, gory love stories, bled out of me instead. This extract uh, that I'm going to read is from a story called Wrath. A wrath in ancient Ireland was a building or structure created on the top of a hill, usually also person-made, which probably had a ceremonial purpose. In this story, the ancient queen buried beneath her own wrath bears witness to one night a year of the complicated friendship between two girls who over 30 years meet every midsummer at the Wrath. Wrath. 
In the beginning, there was the wrath. Round mound of earth built on the bones of buildings filled with a million stones, left to settle into history. Fire and ashes, the captured scream of the sacrifice buried inside. That wasn't me. Don't you go thinking I died like that. After I died, they buried me standing. Wouldn't anybody dare to take a torch to me? They cut off my breasts to form the peaks of mountains. When I pissed, it made rivers. My cries have killed a hundred men. You do not know my hunger. What do you think it will take to wake me? It is summer, and Ellie's cardigan is falling off one freckled shoulder, hand in Trina's hand, running through the gaps in the bushes that tug at their clothes, small white scratches on summer-pinked skin, and this is how it starts. In the beginning, there is the wrath. Soft, long grass of a hilltop, sheltered from view by a ring of trees, a wide ditch. Somewhere to the west, the road. They say from the top of the wrath, you can see five counties. But unless you count the nipple tips of far-off mountains that may be part of another county's range, it's two, max, by Ellie's reckoning. Trina, honestly, could not care less. Dermot's sister's boyfriend has sold them a little pebble of hash, hard nub wrapped in chewing gum paper, and they are 13 years old, haven't a notion how to roll it. But Ellie pulls Trina up the raft, grass past knee height and whispering around the frayed hems of their jeans as they trample across to the space between the two bent trees, which was once the entrance to the processional. The girls don't know this, of course. All they know is the summer evening chill on their skin, the sleeves of Ellie's cardigan touching their joined palms, the cushion of grass in the spot they pick carefully so as to avoid the thistles that only grow around the edges, sharp in the ring ditch, never on the mound. Ellie pulls a half-pack of cigarettes from a trouser pocket and Trina slips her penknife out of her bra, noting with satisfaction the impressed fluster on her best friend's face, the anticipation of which is exactly why she put it there in the first place. She has more than enough pockets, but there's something to having a blade that close to the breast. They perform cigarette surgery, shave some of the hash off with Trina's penknife and roll it all back in again, faces focused, the picture of concentration if there was anyone else to see them. It is coming on ten at night, and there's barely a car goes by every hour here, even on the main road to the west. The sun hasn't yet set. It won't for another good while, tonight's the solstice, the longest day and the shortest night, and Trina and Ellie are going to spend it here, together, on the raft and not go home till morning. Scratch spark of a lighter coming to life. My mom's going to kill me, Ellie says, as though her mom's the murderous one. Trina brushes it off with a thumb flick, tobacco dust falling to her crossed knees. Your mom will never know. She'll smell it on me. Stop being a baby. Trina's inhales sharp as a penknife, and in the shadow of her cupped hand, the cigarette tip glows. Stop pretending like you're so mature. Comfortable point of contention between them. They've worn these words into the dust already, and it's barely been a year. Trina's kissed three boys, Ellie none. Not for lack of wanting, or so she says, but Ellie's got her fiddle lessons on Saturday, speech and drama after school and ballet three times a week, so when's she going to find time to kiss boys? Trina's got Dermot's GAA mates, who'll give her a clumsy grope over her clothes for a fiver, so sometimes she kisses them, 
and she loves how hard it makes her sound to say it. Nub of shame under a white pulse of pride. Whining about your mam isn't doing you any favours here, princess, Trina says lazily. Ellie'd love to have kissed some boys. Let them feel her through a t-shirt and a bra stuffed carefully with the insides of an old teddy bear to make it look fuller. Ellie's never liked being the good girl in this duo, but there's no other role available, so she sits back and takes it. Still, whenever she can, she'll give her best friend a little dig. Take her down a couple of pegs. Theirs is, in their experience, a completely standard friendship. All best friends carry around hard seeds of resentments. All best friends bicker until they figure out the exact words that'll cause real wounds, bring them out on special occasions, and see at the end of the massacre who comes out on top. That tough guy act doesn't work on me. Ellie throws back, but she knows the train is won. The side eye she gives Ellie over the cigarette, the carefree way she sprawls back on the grass, legs still crossed, arm outstretched to hand over the cigarette, a peace offering, a truce, an acknowledgement of Ellie's defeat. Ellie's breath is fire when she inhales, and after the first burning breath she finds she likes it. She imagines herself a dragon on this mound of a mountain, skin becoming scales. She imagines what it would be like to kiss with a mouth as hot as this. When the cigarette is ashes and they are cutting apart the next one to roll again, Trina looks over at the far side of the wrath and says, You know this place is haunted, right? Ellie scoffs. Of course. That kid from Dermot's sister's class died up here, and he wasn't the first. My nana says it's a sacrifice. That the Queen of the Wrath asks for one every year. It's not every year. It is. How would you know anyway? Your nana's full of shit. And the shadow at the far end of the wrath doesn't fade into the familiar shape of a deer or a person or a tree. But the two girls find themselves laughing so hard they can barely breathe. And as the shadow watches, they let the hash and the laughter and the small spark of fear on the shortest night become a cover under which they can roll together in breathless mirth on the soft grass, Elbows and sides and cheeks hitting hair and hands grazing breasts accidentally on purpose. And when their lips finally meet, they both know this is not one of the things they will ever bring up in a fight against the other because they are both implicated. And already they foolishly think they will never speak of it again. Haunted. I do not haunt this place. This place was built for me by the hands of men who would have put their hands on me but instead were beaten by mine. I chained them together and brought them here to break their backs over the building. I do not haunt this mound, nor the long rotten beams of the rock-stuffed structure beneath it. I do not haunt the rocks or the long grass. I do not haunt the skulls of those buried beneath me. I am so much more than a haunting. That was Moira Fowley with a reading from her sensational new short story collection with the brilliant title Eyes, Guts, Throat, Bones. 
no commas there people, it's just eyes, guts, throat, bones. And it's published by Weidenfeld and Nicholson. It's available now in all good bookshops. I've spotted piles of the book in the big foils on Charing Cross Road. I actually nearly said I've spotted piles of bones in the big foils on Charing Cross Road, but that is, such is the power of these stories. Um, but you can find it in your local independent bookshop or you can find it in your local library. Don't forget your local library is yours. You can join it for free, you can use it, for free um, and I encourage you to do that if your local library of course hasn't been closed by this dreadful government. Um, a copy of Eyes, Guts, Throat, Bones will be available on an upcoming Instagram giveaway from us so make sure you're following us over on Insta so that you don't miss your chance to win it. We give away loads of books there and we give away tickets and we give away emotions we do that as well anyway while you're at it subscribe to um, our podcast so that you don't miss an episode please do share with your pals enjoy being bewitched by ice guts throat bones thank you for listening and join us again soon